Welcome to Connections. I'm Colleen Hood. Today's guest has devoted his life to helping suffering and persecuted people around the world. Our guest today is Ray Barnett. He is a Northern Ireland-born minister who immigrated to Canada in the late 1950s. He's the founder of Friends in the West, which is a Christian-based human rights organization that helped secure the release of numerous Christians imprisoned for their faith. He is also the founder of the African Children's Choir. We're going to hear his life story and how he founded the African Children's Choir. That's today on Connections. Today we're joined by Ray Barnett. He is the founder of Friends in the West. He is also the founder of the African Children's Choir. But prior to all of this, you experienced quite the roller coaster throughout your childhood. Can you tell us a little bit about your life as a child? Well, um, I, I was born in... Uh, Port Stewart in Northern Ireland, beautiful place, and raised in a town called Colrain. And uh, I grew up as part of the, uh, my name was Raymond Ross. You know, that's what I knew at the time. And I believe that I was um, a part of that uh, family. And um, so, of course, uh, when I started into school, um, I didn't know too much about my own background, just that I was a member of that family. And my first, uh, a lot of my difficulties was in school, because at that time, the word dyslexia was practically unheard of. And um, I suffered uh, some dyslexia, what was determined later, and found out that most of my arithmetic and things like that were worked out in my head, not on paper. So uh, 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 going to school itself was tremendous pressure because it appeared uh, that I couldn't do the work. And the term uh, teachers would have used in that day would be, uh, he's a stupid boy. And uh, so, um, uh, you know, that... That was difficult for me, but um, the family who raised me were very poor, but they did everything they could for me. Now, Ray, you say that as you were going through school, you were noticing certain things that kind of made you wonder if certain people in your family were actually family members. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It wasn't anything real specific, just an odd thing here and there. And uh, uh, for example, I some people in the area that I called uh, auntie and uncle, but none of the other fam- family members called them auntie or uncle. So um, um, as time went on, uh, my mother was called by an elderly aunt who was on her deathbed, and uh, uh, this elderly aunt told my mother, uh, Levina Ross, Levina, Raymond has to know who he is. And that was a deathbed wish, and uh, that broke my mother's heart. She couldn't tell me, and a brother said he would he would tell me. Ray, you were sharing with us earlier that your aunt on her deathbed made a wish that you be told the truth about your life, and she asked your mother to tell you the story, but she couldn't do it, so your brother told you about yourself. Can you share some more about that with us? Uh, but then it was explained to me that my mother was killed in the London Blitz, and, uh, uh, you know, that was it. There wasn't any more uh, 
question. Uh, and then when I, the leaving age of school at that time was 14, when I left to get a job, I needed a birth certificate, you know, for applying for different things. And uh, um, when I went to the birth register office, they said that uh, there was nobody by that name, Raymond Ross, born on that date. So then uh, my family had to go into it a little bit more and uh, uh, explain uh, some some more things. So it was filmed that my mother was killed in the London Blitz, and uh, they had just um, taken me in. They were poor, never thought anything about registering. And I was able to maintain the name Raymond Ross because... In those days, uh, probably still, uh, uh, a baptismal certificate from the church was sufficient to register in school and do things like that. But then uh, when I was told I had to go and get a birth certificate for the name of Robert Raymond Barnett, and uh, that that changed my life quite a bit, trying to find out and discover, um, uh, you know, what what really happened, and uh, I accepted the, um, the story, but uh, uh, still I uh, wasn't quite satisfied, so I went to work in a dry cleaning plant, and uh, uh, one of my jobs was to get the uh, ladies' clothing and dresses ready for the, to go into the dry cleaning machine, and uh, I picked up a dress. I was about almost 16 at this point, and I thought, that looks like a nice dress, and I don't know what would have prompted me. It wasn't in my nature, but I went and pulled the card to see who that dress belonged to, and it said Barnett Comore Point. Wow. Londonderry, and I knew that's where my mother had lived, and suddenly I realized this is her dress. Wow. And, well, well, to me, I was pretty sure so I took a day off work and went to Londonderry and walked in the train station all the way out to Gilmore Point. There's an old castle there, historic, um, and uh, that's that's where they that's where they lived and knocked on the door and an elderly lady came and she was uh, pretty blind and uh, she invited me in and I realized I had to be very very careful what I would say. So I just said my, I was in London Derry. We just called it Derry then. And, uh, um, I, I knew that my mother was friends with her daughter and I just thought I would come and ask about her daughter uh, to which she said, is something wrong with Margaret? Now, Margaret was the name of my mother. And, uh, uh, she said, well, her son would be home shortly. I assured her nothing was wrong, and uh, then he saw me off to catch the bus back to the station, and I just told him, I said, look, um, uh, your sister, Margaret Barnett, is my mother. You probably know that, and uh, so there and then, he gave me her address in in London in England, just like that. So next part of my journey took me to London to to find her, and um, um, I went with uh, 
took the boat and the train and arrived in London with five pounds in my pocket. And uh, um, first night, spent three pounds ten for bed and breakfast and uh, was wondering what I was going to do the next day. And I was walking around Westminster and saw the the Methodist Central Hall, the Methodist Church there, and decided to go in and see it. And uh, it was a Monday, but a lady was working there. And, you know, I told her, you know, I was interested in joining the ministry, and I went to the Methodist Church in Coleraine sometimes, and um, I, I was quite shocked by what she did. Well, she said the whole executive of the Methodist Church in um in the United Kingdom, the leaders were meeting, and she would take me to see them. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It was it was terrifying. Yeah. And uh, so I thought, oh my goodness, what 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 am I going to say? You know, it was a simple action on my part, and of course, I I I was very young, and I was taken in to the middle of these men sitting in chairs in a circle. And they were the most powerful men in the Methodist Church at that time. And they sat me down, and I explained to them that I wanted to join the ministry. And, uh, um, of course, I wasn't—I uh, had a stammer and stutter uh, in those days. And uh, uh, I was amazed at the interest that they took in a young boy. And uh, then they discovered that I had very little money left, so— they they called uh, a minister in London where students lived and uh, did work in the east of London and asked for them to come and get me and put me up. And then they called uh, the Methodist Youth Department in Ludgate Circus, got me a job, which I was to start the next day. So I considered that somewhat of a miracle. I had a job the next day, and I had a place to stay that night. And all the time that I remained in London, and uh, uh, then eventually I bought a bicycle and rode across London to where my mother lived and knocked on the door, and uh, she invited me in. I think it was somewhat of a shock to her, but I suspected that she'd got a letter uh, from the man who was my uncle uh, that I'd been there, so... um, um, you know, after I visited with her for a while, she told me it would be better if you never came back here again because I'm married and my husband doesn't know about you or anything like that. So that was a, a bit of a blow to me at that time. How did you handle this at just 16 years of age? Well, uh, it, it was, uh, I felt devastated because, of course, I, I these visions that maybe she was somebody wonderful and, you know, there was all very good reasons why I had to be uh, given out. And uh, um, it was it, it was more simple than that. She took me to the Ross family, or the man who turned out to be my father took me there and left me. And what, the, what they were told, that I would just stay there for a while and she would come back and get me, which she never did. And... Uh, but it's a it's a very long story. In the end, uh, uh, I buried her in New York. I met up again. She'd moved to New York, and uh, um, out of that, I 
discovered that I had a sister that I never knew I had, and uh, uh, I found her, and uh, she said she knew she had a brother, and uh, she always prayed that a brother would come and find her someday, which is what I did. It was a long process <laughs> and a very, very long story, but but I did get reunited with her, and as a matter of fact, her daughter, who uh, wasn't quite a teenager at that time, um, went to university and has uh, worked in the organization and the program, the African Children's Choir, all her life um, in Uganda. So uh, that was a, a great thing that I discovered. Life, um, life moved on, and uh, uh, I could not... Uh, describe enough how kind those uh, very, very senior members of the Methodist Church, they were they were famous names out at that time, and they took time to help a young boy who had just appeared in their office. And uh, um, so that, 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 that was the early childhood. And then um, eventually I emigrated to to Canada and uh, uh, studied in Aston, Saskatchewan in the Bible Institute there and eventually joined the ministry. And uh, uh, But my work was to take uh, another important uh, turn and uh, doing some of my work, I was organizing a convention in Stockholm, Sweden, and teams would go out to different parts of Europe and one team was going to Estonia, and at that time, um, a lady, I think, uh, she was working for the Calgary Herald, I think, just newly out of university, came to cover that story, and uh, um, she um, had said, uh, Ray, uh, I'm not a believer at all, but... uh, she said, I would like to go to Estonia with the team that's going there. And, uh, you know, I thought, oh, gosh, uh, because the church, uh, a lot of the church was underground in the Cold War days. So I thought, well, I solved the problem. I said, Christia, Krista, if you, can, um, if you can get a visa, that you can go. I knew they were going the next day. And I believed that there wasn't a chance in the world that she would get a visa because she had a Stockholm with the Canadian passport, and she went to the embassy and come back and was shedding a few tears. I said, well, what happened? Oh, she said, they threw me out. They wouldn't give me the visa. And I said, how come? You're you're a journalist. You're a strong socialist. And, well, she said, uh, Ray, the truth is I lied to them and I lied to you. And I said, now, what was a journalist like you? be doing lying to me. Well, she said, that wasn't the reason I wanted to go to Estonia. I had a grandmother in Estonia whom I never met. And Ray Barnett has such an interesting life story that we're going to continue this conversation. Join us again tomorrow for part two here on Connections.